I love packages at my front door <laughs> so much that when my favorite coffee company in the world started a subscription service, I signed up immediately because I love this delicious coffee. I'm talking about Zelly Beans Coffee. That's Zelly, Z-E-L-I-E, Beans Coffee. They freshly roast their coffee every single week and they grind to order. But my favorite part about Zelly Beans is that they're a mission-focused coffee. They believe in families helping families through specialty coffee. And I tell you what, they're helping me through this pandemic. But what I love is that they have new varieties all the time. There's a new Honduras El Drizano honey processed coffee that I can't wait to try. And I know that they're looking for wholesale partners. I want you to go to zellybeanscoffee.com and put in the code TALKWITHLIVE. That's right. Talk with Live. You're going to get a discount. I want you to try a bag, get a subscription. Do it today. Zellybeanscoffee.com. When I was in the third grade, I had a check mark next to a little part of my report card that said, talks too much. Maybe it said talks too often. Anyway, the point is my parents knew that I was talking in school, but I don't think that was much of a shock. So my father was, I mean, Furious is probably a little extreme, but let's just go with my third grade brain and say that he was furious. I don't know if that's true, but he was upset. He definitely was upset. Oh, and I loved my my third grade teacher. Oh, I loved her. She was the new pretty teacher for the year. Do you know what I mean? Like she was the the like just got out of college and had all this energy and was a first time teacher. So she had like jars of everything because we could earn stuff all the time, like popcorn parties and bubble gum. I don't think you're allowed that in school anymore. And like, I don't know, chocolate kisses. And there were so many reward programs. It was insane. I probably gained 10 pounds in third grade. I didn't care. Oh, her name was Mrs. Williams. Gosh, I loved her. She was just adorable. Anyway, my father called Mrs. Williams and asked her what I needed to do to get that check mark off of my report card. Now, I love how this was going to determine whether or not I got into Harvard Law, okay? And spoiler alert, y'all, I didn't go to Harvard Law. Like, you know what I mean? Like, who cares that I had a talking check mark next to my name? But my dad was determined for me to get this off of my record. Like, it was like... <laughs> Like it was like a permanent record and it was going to be a part of my dowry and no man would wet me. I don't know. So I had six weeks. I had to work my tail to not have a check mark next to talking. And I did it. I just want to say that I did it. I, I got it off of my report card. But OK, I got to come clean and tell you why. Because my father promised me that if I didn't get this mark... I could get a dog. Now, I grew up with dogs when I was little. I had, what were they? I guess labs, but I, we weren't really a dog family, okay? But for whatever reason, I wanted a dog. And my parents were outside dog people, never had inside dog. Well, I got that check mark off. And I reminded my father that I would get a dog. <laughs> 
And I did. I got an incredible golden retriever. His name was Dusty. I think we actually officially named him Olivia's Dusty Rose. I think that was his name. I should ask my parents. Anyway, loved this dog, right? Outside, Golden Retriever. I was on all this land in Louisiana. We had so many adventures together. What is really interesting is that when we moved to Houston, which was, God, not that much longer because we came the summer after fourth grade. So if I got this dog in third grade, oh, that really makes my little kid heart sad. I guess I had this dog less than two years, maybe two years, maybe. And he got hit by a car before we came, before we were able to get him, actually. We moved to Houston. We were supposed to be going the next weekend, which was right before my birthday. So it was all this time, like this time period, because my birthday just happened in October, October 1st. And so he got killed at the end of September. Well, cut to when I'm an adult <laughs> and I'm with my parents and we're at this really big auction, like this really fancy gala. I'm married. I have my two kids. My husband and I are with my parents. I don't think the kids were with us. And it was for Boys and Girls Country, which I think is only here in Texas. They had this big, phenomenal gala, if you remember those things. This is pre-COVID, obviously. And one of the items that was up for auction was a dog. Now, I don't know if you've been to these galas where they auction off dogs, and I find it fascinating. I'm like, what? Who comes to an auction is like, yeah, we just go ahead and want to take that home. Like, I mean, I feel like you need a lot of prep work. But I tell you what, that dog went for a high number. And of course, they're beautiful breeds and special. And so I'm focused on getting this dog, right? First of all, we're not going to throw down the amount of money that they were asking, nor were my parents. Uh, and I get it. It's for a good cause. I get the concept. But it was an outrageous amount of money for a dog. I'm focused on this, and my father, in the meantime, is focused on this log cabin for a week in Wisconsin. I want this dog. Dad wants this cabin. Well, one of us won, and it wasn't the dog. <laughs> when this was over, my dad was so excited, y'all. He was like, we're going to Wisconsin. And I'm like, Wisconsin? Why? Three people live there. I was like, why would we go there? My husband's so excited. His entire family was from Wisconsin. I'm sitting over here like, did I, did I, is there something I missed? Like in grade school, was there like an entire unit on Wisconsin and like it's everyone's life dream? Well, again, long story short, we went to Wisconsin. And what's funny is that my brothers didn't go. My parents offered this trip to everybody. They were like, this could be the best trip ever. I was like, you guys are, you do understand you keep saying Wisconsin, right? Anyway, we did go and it really was, I'm not kidding, one of the best trips I have ever gone on. Not only that, one of the best memories I've ever had with my parents. My grandmother came with us. What's fascinating is that on my 35th birthday, so again, we, it was this time time period because I, like I said, I just had my birthday. I just turned 43. It was on my, my 35th birthday. So this is 2012. We're there in Wisconsin, and on that day, we decide to go to a church, a chapel. And lo and behold, two years before we had gotten there, there was a apparition that was approved by the Catholic Church, 
like as in the Vatican, as in the Pope, as in Rome. And it's the only apparition approved in the United States of America. Now you've got Lords, you've got um, Fatima, you've got, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe, you've got a list of Marian apparitions around the world, but only one is approved in the United States and it was just approved in 2010. Why aren't we all talking about this? Why aren't we all in Wisconsin? You know what I mean? The story gets crazier. And you'll hear more about it today, but I ended up buying all these books about it. And the little priest that wrote all those books started following me on Instagram in 2018. And I didn't know him or anything about him or that he was my Instagram friend until 2020. So I had all his books. He followed me because he heard me on the Jen Fulweiler show. (laughs) He heard me when I was doing my 40 faces. What? You guys, I have the leading expert. (laughs) I mean, what kind of world is this? This leading expert is only 31 years old. He wrote his first book at 22, 23. I own it. (laughs) And I was there because of a random auction where I wanted a dog and I didn't have to not talk to get it. I just needed the money. And I end up talking to him today. You guys, the only Marian apparition approved by the Vatican in the United States, whether you're Catholic or not. Listen, Zac Efron was in Lord's France. Go watch Down to Earth, the Netflix special. This is a big deal, no matter who you are. And this is the priest who wrote about it all. So please welcome my friend, Father Edward Looney. Well, hello, Father Edward. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, You know, it's a nice autumn day and I'm up here in Wisconsin and you'd think we'd probably have snow by now, but we have a nice 82 degree day right now as I record. So I wish I was outside, but happy to talk with you today. Thank you for making a a sacrifice (laughs) to be here and to be inside. I love the 82 degrees. Okay. I've got to say I'm in Texas. 82 degrees for us is Christmas morning. If we get a nice crisp 82, we're like, you guys, it's a white Christmas. Like, it's like so nice. So this must be like July. I don't know. Like, is this hot for you? Is 82 kind of a little, or it's okay. It's kind of in the middle. Well, you know, this is kind of a little different than our summers. Our summers are very humid. And so that, oh, I didn't know that. So we take away the humidity right now. So it's really enjoyable to be outside. So it's, uh, we always say in Wisconsin that we go through about three different false uh, falls or false summer. So it'll get really cold for a while and then it'll get warm again and then it'll get really cold and warm again. So this is about our second false fall now or false summer. Your second, so it's just a tease. Wisconsin is just the worst. No, I'm just kidding. Where in Wisconsin are you? I know Madison, is that true? Is that a right, is that a place? Yes, that's the capital. Look at that, fifth grade. And then I know, (laughs) and then I know uh, Green Bay, which they have a football team, but I'm guessing they play it's on also Sundays usually. <laughs> a city. Is that also a city? Green Bay is a city, yes. Now, interestingly enough, the Green Bay Packers Stadium is right on the outskirts of the city limits of Green Bay, and they rezoned the area so that it was not in the village of Ashwabanon, but that it would actually be in Green Bay. Because oh, who's going to say that? No one's going to get a plane to go to Ashwanazan. Like, yeah. I can't even say it. <laughs> 
That's really funny. So they actually did that. They actually yes. made it so it would be Green Bay. Why not yes. just rename the city? I'm sitting here thinking like, just name it like Smithtown or I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They didn't ask us. So where am I at in Wisconsin? So if you take out your hand and you look at your hand and I'm the thumb, so I live in the peninsula area. Uh, I'm in what's called Door County, which anybody from Illinois probably has come up to Door County. Uh, it's a very popular tourist destination. For people from Illinois? Yes. Like, why? So we call what? it Chicago's playground or backyard. So What? <laughs> yep. Wait, 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 wait. This is fascinating. Are you kidding me right now? No. Why? Is it close to Chicago? No. Well, we're about three and a half hours, probably, maybe four hours at the most from Chicago. I was taking summer classes where I did my graduate work for seminary. Uh, so I was taking advanced degree classes during the summers. And that was in Mundelein, Illinois, where Bishop Barron was the rector of the seminary for a number of years. Oh. And from my house to Mundelein is about three hours. And Chicago is probably another 45 minutes to an hour from Mundelein, depending on traffic. Is there just nothing else to go do except this piece of Wisconsin for people? I'm thinking you're in Chicago. That's a pretty amazing city. Yeah. It's very whatever. So I'm just thinking like, how did they all get together and have like a town hall and say, this is where we're going. This is our Hamptons. This is where we go to summer. Like well, why is, we don't know. It's a very beautiful place. Door County is, it's surrounded Door by uh, two different bodies of water. And so um wow. it's it's very country-esque as well uh okay lots of people so have the opposite waterfront property and whatnot so and it's just one of those places one of those towns one of my favorite towns in the united states is saint augustine florida and if you go to saint augustine you'll go down saint george street you can't drive down it it's one of these walking streets but that's where all the shops are in saint augustine and that's kind of like Door County, where you have lots of different shops and lots of different uh, places to eat or, or things like that. So I got to ask, because I, you know, I'm not originally from Texas. I'm originally from Louisiana. You know that. And I don't have an accent. And if you know anybody from South Louisiana, North Louisiana, there's a distinct accent. They're different. And then Texas is known for having an accent which I didn't, I don't have because I'm from an urban city. Like people all the time are like, but you're, you don't have an accent. And I'm like, yeah, that's because I'm from Houston. People from, people from Dallas, Houston, Austin, we don't have accents. So when I moved here, I did, but I hear an accent with you. Is this a Wisconsin accent that I am picking up? Yes. Am I, yes? yes. Born and raised? There are accents in Wisconsin. Now we'll say <laughs> things like bag and flag and things like that. Wait, what are you saying? What is, is that flag? Yes. We... So I've no. gone to great lengths myself to say flag or to say bag. <laughs> and that's partly because I spent, I spent some time in Missouri living there, Missouri. And then I also no, was Missouri. down in Illinois for four years. So I spent a lot of time outside of the state doing education and schooling. So um, I, I worked hard to correct certain accents of Wisconsin, but of course I still have some of it. No, it's great. I love it. Well, when I got to, um, it was when I got to college, people were, I would say, oh, let's go to the buffet and look, Nathan sent me a bouquet and they were like, what? It's a buffet and it's a bouquet. And I was like, what are you saying? So it's kind of funny. It's really not until you move until you kind of start hearing very distinct words that are happening, but it kind of sounds like Canadian a little bit. You're reminding me of all my 
fake American friends, as Lino really likes to say, so <laughs> with Canada, but I love it. Okay, so here's the real question about anybody from Wisconsin, which I know you guys are so sick about answering. Do you like the squeaky cheese? Because I got to be honest, when I went to Wisconsin, the one time I went, everybody was into the Wisconsin cheese. Of course you are, but it is so squeaky. I'm like, I don't know if I could do that every day. So the cheese that you're probably talking about is what we call a cheese curd. So lots of people know about cheese curds because you deep fry them, but you can get cheese curds that are cold, uh, that aren't breaded, that you would just eat normally. And as people would eat them, uh, sometimes you would keep them out on your counter for a few hours to get them a little warmer. And that's the squeakiness of the cheese. So <laughs> that is something that is real. And I don't mind it. I grew up with it. Um, a few years ago, though, I did a, it was actually probably just last year, I did a allergy testing um, because I'm allergic to mushrooms of all things. I'm allergic to mushrooms. And I found out that yeast was a part of the mushroom family. And so I wanted to find out if I was allergic to yeast, because if I was, then that meant that I probably shouldn't enjoy a beer or, you know, different <laughs> things along that line. So thanks be to God, I wasn't allergic to yeast, but that they did close. this panel. And uh, as they did the panel on my blood, they found out that I had a pretty moderate milk allergy, which oh. isn't surprising because I would always eat, you know, cheese curds. I would eat cheese, pizza, all this stuff. And I would feel sick afterwards. Right. And so right. it does. So it didn't come as a surprise, but I never put two and two together. So uh, I don't enjoy the cheese as often as I'd like. There are times where I will have one or two because I know that won't do too much problems for me. <laughs> and I also think it's really good to include it still so that just because I was eating it for my entire life. So if I ever have a little exposure, I think that it's good to introduce it into your system so that your body still reacts. At least that's what the doctor told me to do. So <laughs> no, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, no, that's what's so great about Wisconsin. There's so much like dairy and uh, who, if you've got a lactose intolerance, you've got to just not go to Wisconsin. You're going to have to skip that state altogether. But what's so interesting is that, and you and I have now talked about this, is that there's a small town close to you called Champion. And my, my parents, we were at a gala together. It was, you know, have you ever heard of like the boys country, boy, boy and girl country? It's like kids that are in the foster care system or they haven't been adopted and they live on, this is here in Texas, I guess. They live on like, I don't know, 200 acres in these houses and they have like these counselors and it's really beautiful. And they do this huge gala every year and it's really fun. Of course, not this year because it's a pandemic, but um, there was this auction of this log cabin in Wisconsin and my parents won it. And then they asked me, my three brothers, we're all married and have kids. So we're like, who wants to come with us to Wisconsin in this log cabin? And my brothers were like, that sounds horrible. And my husband, his whole family's from Wisconsin. He was like, yes, we have to go. I grew up going, we have to go. Like it was like this big thing for him. We end up going and it was over my birthday, which my birthday, um, we're, we're taping this at the very end of September. My birthday's October 1st, so it won't air before then. But um, my birthday's October 1st, which is in a couple of days from right now. And when we were in Champion, it was my 35th birthday. And we came across this church. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, Mary was here. And I'm like, oh, Mary who? And they're like, right. So Jesus's mom, Mary. And I'm like, wait, what are we talking about? Where are we in France? Like Mary only goes to France. <laughs> or Portugal. Like, 
Or Portugal. Mexico. Like, right. Mary doesn't come to America. Mary only visits very poor children that are shepherds. Like, so is this a shepherding community? Like, whatever. I was just ridiculous. And they're like, no, no, no. Mary was here in America. Here's some books. And we buy them all. And I don't know if you know this guy, but there was this priest called Father Edward Looney, and he wrote these books. You might have heard of him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, the funny thing is, is these books you reference, these books you reference now are no longer in print, so you can't get them. I'm going to sell them on eBay and become a millionaire. <laughs> but what did happen was that several of them, so there was like a, a little devotional booklet called Praying the Rosary of Sister Adele. There was a right. novena book. There was kind of my own theological analysis of the apparition. And so what ended up happening was that the publisher I was with kind of went under. They were going to suspend publishing titles that weren't Franciscan related. They were just going to go back to their roots. So they're cutting off all of these different authors that they had taken on. And That's so I had to find a new home for, for these books. And Essentially, what happened was that I was uh, perusing Twitter one day and I saw that there, that Knock Ireland came out with a new prayer book. It was called the Knock Prayer Book. And I said, oh, that's very interesting. I'm like, what I should do is I should make a prayer book for the champion apparition. So basically, I, I was speaking at a conference that summer for a Catholic marketing network. I was one of the keynotes uh, for, for their vendors. And uh, as I was there at the event, my intention was I wanted to meet the people from Tan Books because they had come out with this nice line oh, of yeah. like manual books of prayer. And I wanted to speak with someone from Tan and to pitch the knock or the knock prayer book for champion. And as I was speaking at the event, I'm signing books afterwards. They gave everybody a free copy of the book so that they would go home and order them for their bookstores, whatever. And through the line comes the president of Tan Books, introduces himself and says, I'd like to talk to you a little bit later. <laughs> so we end up talking uh, later in the afternoon. And he said, we've been having meetings at our house, at our publishing house, and we'd really like to bring you in as a part of our company. And uh, do you have anything that you'd like to write? I'm like, <laughs> why? Yes, I wanted to meet with you. And I wanted to tell you about this idea that I had. And so that's how the Our Lady of Good Help, a prayer book for pilgrims uh, came about. It took a lot of my reflections that were in other books and put them like in the front end. So kind of giving the history and I wrote new content as well. It gave me the opportunity to revise. So when I wrote the Praying the Rosary of Sister Adele, I was probably like 20, 22 at the time, 23 at the time. Last summer, this was like just <laughs> no, a couple of months ago. <laughs> <Nope>. And uh <laughs> And it, it, you know, it, it was just one of those wow, new works. And, and I yeah. always wanted to rewrite it. I'm like, this is the perfect opportunity. The novena, it, that was there, but I wanted to write more. And so, yeah, so these books you talk about that you happen to buy now are all in one little blue book with bonus content now. Ah, oh, you're going to make me buy a new book. <laughs> no, I'll probably send it to you. <laughs> no, I'll buy it. I do not mind. I just, I think it's so fascinating because... Let's, I mean, like, let's talk a little bit about this apparition. There's a lot of us out there that would consider ourselves hardcore Catholics, right? And and if you were to say, hey, let's talk about an American apparition of Mary, we would all be like, oh, Mexico, as in, like, as in the Southern Hemisphere, like, whatever, like, or whatever, like, sure. nobody, uh, you know, we would say Guadalupe, we would say a lot of things. We wouldn't say, yes, Wisconsin is my favorite apparition. <laughs> like, 
I don't think anybody knows. Am I wrong? Or is it just no, me? Because I just got right. educated. Tell us a little bit about it. Because I'm guessing I'm not the only one that doesn't know. For sure. And I would say that there are probably more people in the United States that sometimes know more about the unapproved apparition of Mary in Wisconsin. So sometimes when you're driving to La Crosse, uh, which is close to Minnesota on that, on that section of the state, and uh, you'll see a sign that says, Nisida, Our Lady of you know, Mediatrix of Peace or whatever, Shrine. And you go there and you're, you're like, what is this place? It's run down, it's dilapidated. But that was an apparition in the 50s that wasn't approved by the church. That kind of, that not kind of, oh, it was wow. condemned. But wow. I hear all the time about people talking about Nasida. In fact, where I live, we have little roadside chapels. So people will have chapels on their property. They're little, you know, I don't know, four, maybe 10 feet by eight feet chapels. Like normal people? Like yeah, just the yeah. lay people? There's, I'm like, looking at one right outside my Like people my window. have sheds, but here in yes. Wisconsin, yeah. people have chapels. Are they, they open to the chapels, public? Right? Like yeah, I could just, yeah. I'm just in my car and I'm like, I feel like being chapel and I just pull over to the side of the road That's and right. I hop in someone's chapel. <laughs> and so I was just what? at one of these chapels the other day and there's That's a brochure crazy. for Nasita, Wisconsin. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I really want to remove this and- I didn't well, do it. I, I, I should have, but I didn't do it because I was recording like a Facebook live show and oh, I geez. didn't I didn't want to remove it on camera and make comments about it. So I'll have to go back and remove them. <laughs> Hopefully the owner isn't listening. So yeah, this wow. apparition of Mary in Wisconsin though, that's approved, it was approved only in 2010, but it happened oh, all the way. Oh, this was just approved. Yes, just approved. It happened though in 1859. A long time ago. So wait, who was the Pope in 2010? How ignorant do I sound? Was that Benedict? Was he? No, 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 no. Yeah, I think it was Pope Benedict was in it? 2010. But the is he uh, still here. So yeah. Okay. Okay. And then I think Pope Benedict resigned in 2013. 2012. Okay, I was 2013. trying to remember. So wait, is this the only approved apparition of North America of the United States? In the United States, yes. Yeah. So it's the in only the United approved. States. And. So what happened back wow. in 1978, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith gave to the bishops the authority to investigate and approve apparitions. So when our bishop comes then, uh, he moves to Wisconsin 2008 or 2009, and he's like, I think that we should really begin this process of, of inquiring about this apparition. Maybe we should authenticate it. And he got together a team of people based upon these norms that the the congregation for the doctrine of the faith set down and then this council of people reviewed the apparitions and the message and the life of the visionary and all the documents and then they said uh, yeah we think that this is worthy of belief now just a few months ago actually there was another apparition of the blessed mother that was in the 1900s it was some it was in ohio it was in indiana it was um it was called Our Lady of the Americas or Our Lady of America. And that apparition, the bishops came out that investigated it, that had a commission. And they said, we don't know if this is an authentic apparition of Our Lady. And there are lots of adherents to Our Lady of America, but the champion one is the only approved Marian apparition. And it was received by not a child. When we think about Marian apparitions, we think right. about Bernadette Children. Subaru, a young girl. We think about uh, the three children of Fatima. We think about, you know, all of the different children that I've seen marry. Now, there have been adults that I've seen marry. 
Was Juan, Juan Diego was an adult? Juan Diego was an adult. Yeah. Okay. Then Catherine Labore with the miraculous sure. medal was an adult. Right. And then you have Adele Bryce or Adele Brees, depending which way you want to say it. How do you say it? I usually say Brees because. Brees. Uh, okay. Yeah. And she was a sister at the time when she no, had the apparition? No, she wasn't, no. And in fact, some people argue she never was a sister, which oh. isn't really true in my opinion. Uh, but Adele was a 28-year-old Belgian immigrant. She came over with her mother and father and siblings, and they settled here in Wisconsin. And then they built their home. They built their family homestead, and they were farming the land. And Adele, one day, 28 years old, is taking some, some grain to the grist mill to make flour. And as she's walking along this wooded trail, she happens to see the Blessed Mother. She appears between two trees, a <laughs> oh maple and a gosh. hemlock tree. <laughs> what? Yeah. Now, she never, she didn't speak to her that day. On, and we don't know Did the exact Did she know who day. it was? Did she recognize that this is Mary? She didn't necessarily think it was Mary. She was confused. She called her a mysterious lady. And she went on her way and she okay. gets home and her family, she tells this story to her family. She's 28 years old. She can tell these stories. And uh, so she tells the family what happened. And they said, well, maybe it's a poor soul in purgatory. And there are some mystics that have seen the poor souls that come and visit for, for prayers. So it could have been. And uh, Adele goes on with her life. And the next Sunday, October 9th comes along and She's going to church and now she has her sisters with her. There's other people, the neighbors with her and they come to that same spot. And again, there's that woman. And she says, there's that lady again. And, and her friends are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Her sister's like, I don't know. And, um, and so she goes to church, talks to the priest after mass and says, this is what I experienced. And the priest said, if you see the woman again, ask her in God's name, who are you? And what do you want of me? And so that's exactly what she did. She asked the woman, in God's name, who are you and what do you want from me? Because as she was walking home from church, she sees that woman again between the maple and the hemlock tree. And she says, I'm the queen of heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners. And I wish you to do the same. You received Holy Communion this morning and that as well, but you must do more. Make a general confession and offer your communion for the conversion of sinners. If they don't convert into penance, my son will be obliged to punish them. So that's a lot for the message. And then there's kind of an interruption. The girls that are with her, the young women, say, well, who is it? Why can't we see her as you do? And Adele says, well, this is the Blessed Virgin, Neil. She says she's the Virgin Mary. They knelt and Mary says, well, uh, blessed are they who believe without seeing. And then she asked Adele, why are you standing here in idleness while your companions are working in the vineyard of my son? So that kind of calls to mind the fact that Adele wanted to be a sister, but now here she is in the United States, not a religious sister, just living an ordinary life. And Adele says, but what am I to do? And Mary says, gather the children in this wild country and teach them what they need to know for salvation. And Adele says, well, what should I teach them? And Mary says, teach them how to make the sign of the cross, how to approach the sacraments, teach them their catechism, this is what I wish you to do. Go and fear nothing, and I will help you. And so being sent then, going, fearing nothing, uh, Adele went about carrying out that mission, praying, going to the sacraments. And then ultimately, she started a school, and the children came to the school, and she instructed them. But in the early days, she actually walked around the area. Where I live, 
the historical record says that she probably walked in this area and knocked on the doors of family. So the people here probably interacted with her, probably knew her, you know, their ancestors of long ago. And uh, so she, the, the message was very important to her that she wanted to live it. And, and so she spent her life doing that. That's absolutely extraordinary. How many times did she see the Blessed Mother? Yeah, there are the three occurrences. So the one on the way to the Grisville, the second on the way to church, and the third on the way home from church. And then she never saw her again. Never saw her again. Wow. And so why is there controversy whether or not she became a sister? Because wouldn't we have documentation of her like going to a con? Did someone take her or give her a, a nice little, you know, outfit to wear? Like, yeah. So, you know, back in the 1800s at the time, there was something called third orders. There were tertiaries. Oh, the third right. orders are still around. Sure. But it was very common for third orders to wear a habit to right. um, to be called sister or brother. We have that here in Houston, actually. Yeah. Yes, that they still wear habits and they're not actual religious. Yeah. Yeah, so the third order's there. And uh, so she was a third order Franciscan. She started a little religious order, uh, a community. They didn't take vows. They lived together. They educated the students. Some remained their entire life. Others came and then they left. And so there are written documents that call her Sewer Adele. You know, so they wrote to her, the, the bishops wrote to her and said, Sister Adele. Uh, so she's depicted wearing a habit. So in my opinion, she is a sister. Uh, so and, and rightfully so, because that's what was happening at the time. That was how she fulfilled her vocation. Now, we can think about the other visionaries. We can think about Lucia de los Santos from Fatima. She goes off and joins a religious order, ultimately right. ending up at, in Coimbra in Portugal, where she is uh, a Carmelite, or you think of Bernadette Subaru, who joined the Sisters of Charity, I believe, mm -hmm. in Nevers, in France. And so they go off and they join a regular institute of religious life. But for Adele, you know, for her, it was all about living this message. She was to be an integral part of the message. Whereas when Bernadette Subaru went off to, uh, to Navarre, she never came back to Lourdes. She said, it is not meant for me. It's meant for other people. And, oh, and so she realized that she was the instrument at the time. She received the message. The message has been given. And now she needed to separate from that. Whereas for Adele, she had to be intimately associated with the, with the mission that the Blessed Mother gave her. That's incredible. Well, what's really interesting about this being the only documented, you know, United States apparition is it wasn't with an American. I mean, she's not a natural American, which is really interesting. So still, there hasn't been an American that I know of that has had an apparition that's yeah, documented. That's authenticated by the church. Correct. I do believe, I do believe that there are many holy souls out there, you know, not holy sure. souls purgatory, but, you know, holy people out there who have mystical experiences that they probably do receive some sort of messages from the Blessed Mother. They talk to her, but those are individual. Those are yeah. not public. They're personal Correct. things. And they probably, maybe they have a spiritual director that they bring it to, but they don't go around saying, this is what the Blessed Mother told me. And so right. it's a very private thing. So I, I, I'd be willing to bet Mary has appeared to people in our country. It's just not known to us. It's more of a, a thing for them, for their own personal spiritual life. So what's come out of this for Champion? Is there, 
you know, miracles that have happened is that, you know, because Lords, I don't know if there's a great, incredible show on Netflix, which I know everybody's very anti-Netflix right now. And, and that's not this conversation. But there is a great show <laughs> called uh, Down to Earth. And it's with Zac Efron. And I don't know how well you are into pop culture. But Zac Efron was all the um, like the teen movies that were on Disney um, High School Musical. That's where he kind of got started. So he's very secular. He's not Catholic at all. And one of the episodes, and I wrote a post about it on my Instagram, and it is one of the most, like, like I've gotten more likes and interaction on this post, which probably because it's a picture of Zac Efron. I don't know. But he's in Lourdes, France. And he went to Lourdes. He's not religious. And the episode is so beautiful. And what he talks about and how it affected him as someone who's not Catholic, as someone who is very, you know what I mean, was really kind of neat to see this whole story through somebody else's eyes that isn't with the filter of the Catholic Church. So I'm interested to know, since it is in America, what has it done for Champion? What are the Zac Efron stories that have come sure. out of it? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's the thing about these marrying apparitions. Go to Lourdes, go to Fatima. You have your devout people that pay money to go with the tour company. And this is like their Catholic bucket list. And they've always wanted to go. I've been to Lourdes, France five or six times. So, you know, I, I'm a pilgrim there. I love Lourdes. It's one of my favorite places on earth. And so, but then you have the casual person that comes by and they participate in the life or they visit and maybe they have no attachment to religion like the Zac, Zac Efron. And I saw that story circulate on the internet about that show. And I was very impressed by it and want to see it myself. But there's a moment of grace for them as they go to these places. In in a book I wrote called A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary, I share a story about in Lourdes, France, I had dinner with a thief. <laughs> and did so you really? I did. Uh, there was this young couple, you know, they were probably about 23, 24. And I was struck by them. They were coming to mass every day. And I'm like, well, what, what brings you here? And, and uh, I saw them on the street. And as I was thinking about like, why are they here? I never had the opportunity to talk to them. But my last night I'm there, I see them on the street and I go up to them and I, I say to them, hey, I was just wondering like, why are you here in Lourdes? You know, and part of my reason was like, well, maybe they're here because they are praying for the grace of fertility or healing for something or whatever. Yeah, that's and, and I wanted to know and then I could pray for them. And uh, we, I say, well, why don't we go and we have lunch or dinner together now? and uh, we can chat over dinner. And by the time we sit down and we enter into our introductory conversation, I say, well, what do you do for a living? And he's like, I can't lie to you, Father, I'm a thief. And so um, I'm like, oh, okay. And uh, it was a very awkward experience then. And so it's like, you're probably here in Lourdes because you want to steal things. Yeah. I'm like, okay, whatever. But you know what? They go to all these different religious places and I'm sure they go to the religious places not for the, not for the right reasons. Yes, it's, we can steal things, but I can't help but think that somehow as they pray at the grotto in Lourdes, as they uh, go to Divine Mercy or Medjugorje or wherever they go, that they aren't being touched by grace. And Champion is no exception that, that there are people like that that go there that really have no interest in religion, but then maybe they have some sort of profound experience. But a lot of the people that go there are the locals. They're the people that uh, have been going there for years. And then you have the new crowd of people that are enthusiasts because it's an approved apparition. They've heard about it. People go there to pray. 
especially in my own community. I live 20 minutes from there. People in my own parish community, whenever they hear someone has cancer or someone died or whatever the case is, lots of people will go to the shrine then and they'll go and they'll pray for that person or they'll go themselves. They'll light a candle. So it's really a part of the devotional life of the local community. Now, to your question about the graces, the miracles, in 1871, there was this fire that broke out in Peshtigo, Wisconsin, which is across the bay. So it's not close to the shrine uh, in Champion, but this fire is carried over the body of water and it begins to burn where I live. It begins to burn where the shrine is. And it's October 8th. The apparition was October 9th. And October 8th, all of these people then begin to flock to the shrine. They think that this is a place where they will be saved, where God will spare them by the prayers of the Blessed Virgin. And that's exactly what happens, that on October 9th, they wake up, or not wake up, they're still there praying. And as they realize what day it is, as they look out around them, they see that the church, the convent, the school, all of them, that they have been preserved, whereas everything else around them has been burned. So they should have suffocated by the smoke that they were inhaling. But yet somehow by God's grace, they overcame. And this is the miracle, probably the greatest miracle in quotations. It's not authenticated per se, but the story lives on that it's true. There have been lots of healings. Lots of people have left uh, crutches there. They've left mementos saying, I was healed. People have been healed of cancer, other things. So, so there's lots of healings that do take place. Uh, at this champion shrine. That is just, I mean, this is just so incredible. It's its interesting that there isn't a, a bigger movement or that a, a lot, especially with the, the internet and all the ways that we can communicate with each other, that why hasn't this been, not to, you know, pun intended, but like wildfire within the Catholic community that we've got an approved apparition right here in our own backyard. You know, it just isn't well known. It always seems like, it comes and it goes. So, of course, 2010, December 8th, everybody's talking about it. But if, like, you weren't in tune with the Catholic world on December 8th of 2010, <laughs> you probably might not know about the apparition. It's gone. <laughs> but then there are different articles that will go on. Um, I know that Michael O'Neill, the miracle hunter, uh, he did a little thing with maybe ABC or somebody, uh, and they spotlighted the shrine. So it has its moments, but not yeah. like a continual, uh, continual momentum. Flow of, yeah. So let me, when was the first time she saw Mary? Do we know the date of that since we know that? They just say the early days of October. So it's not necessarily documented when she okay. saw Mary. So that's really cool that like, this is kind of, even though you and I are having this conversation right on the heels of when this happened, but here's where I really want to go. And I wanted to give, I don't usually... Um, dig this deep into someone into their to the story that makes them of who they are. But this is so fascinating and different than the normal conversations I have with my guests. But now I'm really interested in kind of changing the subject onto you, which is what I really focus on when I have a guest. And I want to know why you? Why are you the guy? Why are you the priest <laughs> to be the one? And and this could just be me because you're the books that I bought. I feel like you're the books that are tied to this apparition. If you're going to learn about it, you're going to read a Father Edward Looney book. Like, am I wrong in that? No, you're probably right. There, there are other authors. They haven't written full-length treatments yet. I know that two publishers are. And I was personally like... 
this is like humility points, but I was a little offended that I wasn't asked to yeah. write them. And, uh, and then the, the authors that were writing these books then contacted me and asked, both of them asked me if I would be a co-author. Oh, <laughs> and nice. Like, and, and so I just <laughs> politely declined and said, I think that I've made enough of a contribution. And I think that maybe there needs to be other people that do things um, in terms of presenting it in a new way, like uh, that my own thought that, and my thought on the apparition has developed over the years, to be honest. So what I was writing in 2010, it looks a little different than what I would argue today or my presentation today. That's so interesting. interesting, like, how did I get here? How yeah, am I that you? person? So, yeah. <laughs> and I was writing actually when I was still in the seminary. So that's like even more interesting and unique. Always been a writer is what you're saying. Like, okay, how how long have you been a priest? Let's maybe give a little yeah, bit of so a Yeah, so I was ordained in 2015, so just five years ago in June. So you're still kind of a little baby priest. I'm a little baby priest. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the pastor of two parishes with three churches and all that stuff. So so I don't feel like a baby priest anymore. No, you're not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I was writing when I was in the seminary, and it all, you know, I think you have to go back to the very beginning, and growing up as a young boy, I had this devotion to the Blessed Mother. And it wasn't because like I came from a household that was very devoted to Mary. That's not the case at all. Uh, thinking about my own childhood, uh, that wasn't who, who my family was. And I came from a very broken family. My father left before I was born. So my mother was a single mother. She lived with my grandmother. My grandfather was already deceased. And so that's the interesting aspect, like how did I become who I am given this cultural context that I grew up in? You would expect someone that grew up in a family praying the rosary every day at seven o'clock together after dinner <laughs> to, to write these books or to be the person, but that's not my story. And, you know, I think that my devotion to Mary, there's two reasons for it. The first was I was very touched by the example of my grandmother. She was always thumbing the rosary beads. She always had on her little table next to her chair, a rosary or a prayer book or Mother Angelica was on TV from EWTN. So I think that was the first impression. And the second that, you know, because I always say I came out of the womb loving Mary, there's no like point of origin that I can say <laughs> like, this was when I was a strong Marian devotee. But I think that as I heard the stories of Mary, as I heard the stories about apparitions, there was a lady from my parish that took people on pilgrimages to Europe to a place of alleged apparition. And so hearing her tell stories, hearing other people tell the stories of Fatima or Lourdes, like they just won me over. And so I wanted to do whatever it was that the Blessed Mother asked. And and uh, I think that I turned to Mary then, reflecting on her, turning towards towards her for intercession, all because I uh, wanted to probably fill up what was lacking in my life from the maternal affection of my own mother, so that she wasn't a very loving mother. I could go into lots of other stories about that, but, but there was times that Child Protective Services removed me from the home. They declared her unfit oh, wow. for some time. You know, wow. she, I hate to say it, she was abusive, you know, so, right. so it was bad. Were you an only child? At I was, I was an only child. Okay, so you're being raised by two women, and yeah. one is very devoted, very Catholic, and then the other one is abusive. Is it what were you physically abused, emotionally abused? All oh, the above? yeah, there was physical stuff, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so yeah. who would call CPS about your mom? Yeah, Who's the well, person that stepped in. Yeah, so there would be public episodes where she would, you know, start yelling or whatever. And I remember after one of them, 
that someone called it in and all this okay. stuff. So, so it was well known kind of in the area. Yeah, probably who your you mom could say was. that. Did, did you ever meet your father? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough situation. But yes, I, I know who my father is. I've talked to him. Um, I've reached out a good number of times to him. And uh, so I, I, I get it. My mother probably didn't want me to be in communication with my father, probably right. for the way that he treated her or us or whatever. But uh, he was a big outdoorsman. And I remember being a kid and he wrote a letter and he's like, oh, I would like to take you fishing sometime or hunting sometime. But my mother had no trust in that. You know, like, what's he going to do? Is he going to take you? Is he going to kill you? Is he going to put you in the water? You know, wow. I guess legitimate concerns possibly. <laughs> yeah. But, so he's this big hunterman, big fisherman, things I never did in my life. But actually just yesterday, I went and I bought a hunting rifle, for example, because last year I went hunting for the very first time that one of my parishioners, they let me hunt on their land. I did hunter safety, all this stuff. And and I shot a doe and then wow. we went muzzleloader hunting and I shot a buck. So with a muzzleloader nonetheless. So that's crazy. Um, these were experiences that, that I, I shared with my father. I sent him, I got his phone number from a relative that I'm in contact with and uh, sent him some text messages, never heard from him. I ended up talking to him in March, like the uncle on that side of the family, the only family relative I talked to was very persistent that I would talk to him. And so one night he calls me, he confesses that he's only calling me because he's drank too much and whatever. I'm like, okay, that's great. And <laughs> awesome. he, he went the entire time to like malign my mother. And I know my mother's faults and her weaknesses and she wasn't the best of mothers. I get that. But I'm like, she was my caregiver. She did provide for me. And so like, I don't really right. appreciate you saying these things. And uh, so, so I know him, I've talked to him. I don't, personally right now have an interest because of the March conversation and pursuing it any further. And that was March of 2020? 2020, yeah. So you started off COVID and quarantine with this conversation. Yeah, so that's, pretty much. Yeah. That's kind of tough. Is it hard for you when you do hunt and fish? Do you think of your dad? Like, does it, does no. it trigger anything? Okay, good. No, so that's I don't like a think so, no. Thing. It's kind of funny. The guy that I've gone fishing with, the guy that I've gone hunting with, it's kind of like a second father. Like he's just a parishioner that lives halfway down the road, but, but he's, he's done more fatherly things for me than right. my own father ever has done. I was going to ask who the father figure was in your life. Um, was there one that when you were younger that stepped in or did you not really find that? Did you find that in the seminary? Do you think that's what attracted yeah. you to becoming a priest in the brotherhood? Yeah, probably that could be. Uh, I think that I was attracted to the fatherhood of the priesthood, that uh, I think the parish priest, he saw the need that I had as a person, and uh, he looked out for me and, and cared for me or whatever a little bit. And so I, I think that he was a father figure. I think the youth minister was a father figure in a sense. So there were people that were, would kind of fill that role, but never to the degree that you would expect. Yeah, exactly. So how, how did you get to seminary? How did that, what this is, as you know, cause you listen to the show, this is my favorite question. I ask everybody what had a quiet down in your life for you to hear God to enter into the seminary? What, what had to like chill out for you to say yes? Yeah. And my road to the seminary was a bit rocky too, because the idea of priesthood was there in high school and uh, discerning it. I went on a pilgrimage to Europe with this lady that organized pilgrimages from my home parish. 
in uh, high her, school? Yeah, you in high school. Young? In 16, when I was 16. Your mom didn't care? Uh, she probably enjoyed the fact that I was going to be gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so wait, did you have to raise the money? Like, how did you afford to do that at 16? Yeah, so I think the lady threw in a little money behind it. And then I actually had a paper route. And so I had money that I was banking. Okay. And, That's and so, so precious. Yeah, isn't that right? You had a paper right? route. What? <laughs> I have a paper route so I could go see Mary. Okay, yeah, that's the cutest. Story. No wonder she chose you to write her books and champion. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. So um, I go to the I go on that pilgrimage and it was a pretty profound experience. And I'm like, well, I think God might be calling me to be a priest. I went to confession. The priest said, you should go up and pray, pray on the hill and ask, uh, ask for clarity and what you should do with your life or whatever. And I'm like, okay, so I did that. And I just remember being very impressed. And I'm impressed by all of the shrines that I visited, the number of people that go there, the people that go to mass, the people that go to confession, the people that pray and participate in the life of the processions and whatnot. And so that made a very huge impression on me. Like the faith is real. People believe, people care. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I should be a priest. And so I said, I want to see this in my own diocese. So then I go to Champion, Wisconsin, August 15th. I'm 16 years old. I have a driver's license. I drove 45 minutes from our hometown. And there I was. And 2,500 people joined us, on, joined the bishop on that day for mass, for an outdoor rosary. It was everything that I had just experienced on that pilgrimage to Europe. And I thought, well, maybe this is the sign or the confirmation that this is what I'm supposed to do. I graduate, I go off to college seminary. I have absolutely the worst experience of my entire life. And I'm like, I at don't college think, seminary? Like at you college might... seminary. I went really? and I'm like, I do not like this place. I do not want to be here. Uh, I wow. thought transferring out in the middle of the semester, but I said, I will stay until the end of the semester. And then I ended up leaving, leaving the seminary formation. I went back to a local college back home. I was studying political science and communications. And uh, I thought I was done with that whole God priesthood thing. <laughs> the whole God thing. We put that to rest. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. But then for whatever reason, like I, I was working a political campaign that year and everybody that I was working for and helping lost. And I, I struggled with that on the Tuesday of November that you, everything can be taken away from you. And I said, well, there's nothing permanent then. It's all just fleeting, all passing. I'm like, I don't know if I could give myself to something like that. And that's when the thought of, well, maybe you should be a priest because eternal life is forever. And that was kind Whoa. of, I go back to seminary. I go to a different seminary this time. Wait, how old are you now? Like uh, I was maybe 19, 20 at that time. Oh, so, okay. So, so I was really a year young. and a half okay. out of the seminary. Okay. And then I okay. go back in and okay. uh, I go back to a different, I go to a, a different, different seminary and it was <laughs> yeah. a perfect fit. I love the oh, seminary good. that I went to in Missouri and uh, I go back every now and again. And then I ended up at Mundelein and now I'm a priest. So well, kind of the interesting thing, tie it all back to the original question about champion. How did I become this person was at 21, I wrote a paper for the Mariological Society of America on the apparition. It was right after the apparition got approved. And, uh, and so I wrote a paper for the, for the conference because it was Mary in the United States and Canada up until 1900. I'm like, well, this is perfect. And uh, I loved Mary. I loved studying the Blessed Mother. And so I'm like, well, this could be my entryway into the society. I present the paper. 
to this day, it's the number one read article on the internet for them, for their journal. Partly, I think, because people are interested in the apparition. But uh, I present the paper, and today, 10 years later, that was 2011, so almost 10 years later, I'm the vice president of the society. Are you really? So they let you in. (laughs) They did. (laughs) To go back to your other question, though, what had a quiet down? down. (laughs) Yeah, Um, finally, that second time after you took a break, you guys broke up a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> you were yeah. seeing other people. So then what happened? I think it was just what had to quiet down was coming to that realization of what brings you happiness, what brings you joy, what brings you peace, and to seek those things. And, and uh, it was, you know, what had to quiet down, in a sense, I had to converse with people. I had to talk with people about that experience and like, is this really what I'm supposed to do? Am I really going to go back and and give up what I have right now once again. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer to the question. It was more letting go of my dreams and desires and saying yes uh, to the bigger plan. What was your dream? I think my dream was to be in some sort of, not governor, but some sort of political administration. So whether that would have been the mayor, yeah, whether that would have been been the the mayor of a town, yeah, all the cheese the curds mayor. you want. Amen. <laughs> Wager them for, for things. You know? <laughs> so now how many books do you have? You're an author. Your dreams have changed. You have a podcast. You do some things for EWTN from time to time. How many books do you have at this point? Yeah, so I just tell people I have four good books right now. <laughs> four good books. And there's a, a fifth good book that's coming in January. That's coming out nice. in January. Good plug. I like it. So... <laughs> That's fantastic. Are you branching out besides the apparition? Do you write more than yeah. is that still? Are you pigeonholed into you're the apparition yeah. guy? Yeah. So, you know, um, one of the things, how did I become the apparition guy for champion? Well, it was because <laughs> I wrote that paper. It was because sure. I'm the guy that loves Mary, that it just seems natural. This is the guy that we should have do do the writing. Lots of people are shocked, like, I'm not assigned there. So I don't work there. I don't live there, but I kind of advise, like, I theologize on the side, all this stuff. I serve as a counselor uh, to the bishop or advisor right. on the matter. So, so that's kind of my role. Um, but yeah, so I've done other Marian works. I, I've done something on Mary with kind of scripture. That's a heart like Mary's, um, trying to live with her hearts, understanding what the heart of Mary was like. Uh, I did a whole book on Lent and apparitions, so kind of thematically going through all the different Marian apparitions. I did a rosary devotional called A Rosary Litany. And then uh, and then I have that new blue book from Tan Books uh, that was everything that you have and more. And <laughs> that I will this, buy. I'm getting. <laughs> and this, uh, this January is going to be a, a Eucharistic meditation book. Uh, oh. which was born out of another paper that I wrote for the Mariological Society on a priest named Father Daniel Lord. Father Lord um, would lead people in reflections after Holy Communion, and they were thematic or whatever. They're, they're contained in a book, and I wrote a paper for one of their conferences on kind of the Marian dimension of the uh, meditations. And one of the individuals at the conference uh, who, who just loved a rosary litany, she said, you should really renew what Father Lord did and do it for today's audience. And so that's what ended up happening was I... Uh, Is this I, with I, Tan? Is that uh, who's No, this one publishing? will be with Sophia Institute. Sophia. Yeah. Look at you. 
All these yeah. different publishing companies. I love it. I'm, I'm really grateful that you shared about your father and I hope that he knows what an impact you've made and who knows what it is that has changed his heart over the time. If he knows what it is, is he, I, I did want to ask, is he local? Is he in the Wisconsin area or has he moved anyplace else? Yeah, he's in Wisconsin. So he is okay. maybe about two hours away from where I live, I bet. All right. Well, that's my that's my little thing that I'm getting out of this that I pray for that. And I'm excited about your new book. I want to know where can people find you? Where can people hear you? Because you've got a lot going on. So I'm going to let you take the floor on where they can find you. Uh, I have a website, edwardlooney.com. Uh, on Twitter, I'm probably most active on Twitter, uh, but I'm on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at FR, Edward Looney. And and there's a little podcast called How They Love Mary. So if you want to hear hear from other people about their devotion to Mary, and sometimes it's talking with people about an ordinary topic, and then we just talk about their Marian devotion in the last segment. So uh, it, it's kind of just like a, a Catholic talk show, uh, much like yours, not, which yours doesn't isn't exclusively Catholic, but it's kind of like a talk show with a Marian dimension at the very end. But sometimes they are overtly uh, Marian uh, episodes as well. No, that's awesome. Well, good. I'm glad. And then and the new book comes out in January. Can people pre-order it, or is that not a thing yet? Not yet. Okay. I, I but think be on that the they Yeah, they're they're. It's all in motion. I think, and I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if a cover comes in the next few days. Ooh. Supposedly, the book is going to be called "Truly It Is You." So. Um, that's Exciting. what I called it, but they could rename it. You never know. All <laughs> right. They have a lot of power, those publishers. <laughs> they really do. I can't thank you enough for taking the time and completing my little story with Champion. Anyone who lives in America, make your way to Wisconsin. And can they come by and wave to you? Can you just like be like the Pope and wave through a window? And <laughs> You know, I have lots of people that when they come up to Champion, they always send like an email or a message and they're Aww. like, oh, you know, uh, we've been following you for a long time and we're coming to Champion. Would you be able to visit with us or whatever? There and you so, go. So people for could do that. For cheese curds, maybe. <laughs> well, I'd Even be happy to provide. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right, Father. Thank you so much. You go enjoy that wonderful weather. All right. I will for sure. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye. I love subscription services. I love getting a box in the mail with things inside of it that I would have chosen. And if it involves my family and travel, count me in. So I partnered with the Global Sleepover. My friend Gita Raj was on a previous episode where I feature her and her incredible story. You'll have to check it out. And she started the Global Sleepover. Together, we are curating a subscription service called Landmarks of Hope, where you will get a box filled with incredible things for your family to travel around the world together without leaving home. Perfect for a pandemic. And what are these Landmarks of Hope? Well, they're pilgrimage sites. So if you're Catholic or Christian, you're gonna really love it. But what if you aren't? That's okay. We have that covered as well. So go to globalsleepover.com slash landmarks of hope and sign up to get more information. These boxes will be ready by Christmas.